When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Favors the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick by the tracks, it don't know. Long we over. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! It's Lucas McCulloch saved it in. Barry Ferguson does this again. Another World Cup qualifying campaign is around the corner. The first squad has been selected ahead of the games against Austria, Israel and the Faroe Islands. It's an intriguing one, some justifiable inclusions, some confusing exclusions. We'll cover all bases here on the Hand and Roll with me, Andy Barge, Gordon Shiach and Ben Ramage as usual. Welcome along, guys. It's been quite an exciting day, lots of news to digest. Um, the big talking point, I think, is Shea Adams' inclusion. Gordon, you must be chuffed with that. I've seen you uh, going on about it on your Twitter feed. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon. You know, I, I described to some friends last night the, the feeling was almost akin to Christmas Eve. You know, that this is the kind of, uh, this is where things get real. You know, we've been speculating, we've been talking for weeks, months, as soon as, ever since we qualified, as to looking ahead to the Euros, well, for me, this is the first thing where things get real because this is the squad that we've got. That you can't really see many players that aren't involved in this squad fighting their way into the Euro squad. So we're probably looking at the 23-man squad from within this group here. So there's so much to be excited about. Um, obviously, the biggest news is Jay Adams. I mean, if it was Christmas Eve last night, you know, I went to bed... I didn't quite know that Santa Steve Clark had wrapped me the present that I'd always wanted, but I, I just didn't think I was going to get, you know? I don't know about you guys, but no matter how many times I'd heard Che Adams' name touted, I knew he was eligible, but I genuinely didn't think this was going to happen. It was a complete surprise, but a very, very welcome one. Ben, had you given up or even stopped thinking about this possibility? Because it was mentioned a few years ago, and you, you see it maybe mentioned now and again is a a distinct um or a distinctly impossible scenario but it's it's been proven to be possible she adams is committed yeah and you know a lot of people have said is it just because we've qualified for the euros obviously that's probably played a big factor but you have to look back you know people have said about when he was first linked with being called up you know we were not half the team that we are at the moment um, we didn't have, you know, the same sort of quality of players. Um, I wasn't expecting it at all. 
Um, but absolutely delighted because it's just an area of the pitch that we have we have struggled with, you know, for, for proper goal scorers. Um, Griffiths has been the only one that's really looked like a really natural finisher. Um, you know, his form in the English Premier League has been really good this season. Uh, I've not seen masses of him, but I've, from what I have seen and what I've looked up, you know, recently, been very impressed. And I think he can add another dimension to that attack that, that we're really missing. Um, and I was quite nice to see, I think, from Clark's presser today, it sounded like he was the one that made the move. You know, it was noise from his camp that sort of alerted Clark to it. It wasn't the fact we were chasing him. And that, to me, suggests that he wants to play for the country, you know, and that's the main thing. It's not the case that we've been groveling at his feet to try and get him to come in. He's wanted to do this, and now we can hopefully reap the benefits from it. Ben, with Shea Adams as well, there's there's been a bit of talk on Twitter today about his previous indecision and why has he been allowed to change his mind and commit now when we've got a major tournament to look forward to. We, we spoke earlier about, uh, just on the group chat earlier, about players that have not been raised as Scotland fans but have committed to the cause and performed more than admirably. You, you think that we've got to look past the fact that Shea Adams wasn't interested a few years ago and, and is now? Yeah, I'm probably quite well placed because obviously I was born to Scottish parents but in England, so I've kind of grown up with some of those similar sort of questions about what do you feel? You know, do you feel Scottish? You know, do you feel English? Um, when you look at Che, I think he was probably asked, I think Clark said when he was 19, 20, and he was playing for the England under 20s. You know, I think at that point, it might have been hard for him to say, yes, I definitely want to play for Scotland at this point, when if we're honest, you know, the chance to qualify if you're in the England squad is virtually every tournament. And up until very recently, that was not the case with Scotland. And we still haven't qualified for the World Cup since 1998. So I actually think for him doing this at 24 is still quite a big step, given how well he's played in the English Premier League this season. You know, in, in a couple of years, you know, he may well have got into the England team if he'd continued on the same career path. So I think it's actually quite a bold statement for him at 24 to be nailing his colours to our mast. And I think we just have to run with this. Gordon, there are plenty of players. Um, let's, James Morrison recently, Akechi Anya, um, Stuart McCall was moments of, away from being ineligible for Scotland when, he was, uh, when the rules were different and he was on the bench for England's under-21s. These are all players that have turned out to be important for us over uh, their eras. I think that Shea Adams just has to be viewed as potentially another one of those and just forget about uh, or accept where he's come from and where he's going now. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, when you when you follow the national team as closely as we do, you do often find that the same kind of talking points and conversations, they come in cycles. So we go through the same arguments year after year after year. And I do have to say there are fewer arguments that I find more tiresome than the argument about nationality and eligibility. I honestly just, I could not give a toss. I mean, I said on Twitter today that from my perspective, if I have I have three criteria when it comes to picking players for Scotland. A, are they eligible? B, do they want to play for us? And C, will they add something to our team? If they tick every box, that's all, all I care about, to be honest with you. I mean, the rules are the rules. And we'd be cutting off our nose to spite our faces if we decided to paint ourselves into an even tighter box when it came to squad selection, just 
for our own self-interest or for our own feelings of happiness. I mean, I just can't get behind that. I mean, because again, where do you stop? Where, where do you honestly draw the line with this? I mean, if it comes down to where a player is born, you know, I mean, we would have been without Benjamin's talents for Scotland had he been a, a player, you know, and that would have been a crying shame, you know, or the list is endless. I mean, Stephen Fletcher was born in uh, Shrewsbury, I think. Callum Patterson was born in London. Kieran Tierney was born in the Isle of Man. Sean Maloney was born in Malaysia. Should all those players be excluded from playing for Scotland? Of course they shouldn't. But then, Andy, you made the point as well about, you know, look at a guy like Akechi Anya. You know, he's got such a, a rich tapestry of his heritage, you know, that yes, he was born in Scotland, he was born in Glasgow, but his mum was Romanian and his dad's Nigerian. So where does his, where should his nationality alliance necessarily lie? He decided, he made the choice for himself that it was Scotland. And the other thing as well, look at some of the players that have turned out for us recently. I mean, Lyndon Dykes didn't make himself eligible for Scotland straight away. He took a little bit of convincing. Has he been phenomenal for us? Yes, he has. Scott McTominay as well didn't, didn't come out for us. Actually, I think he was involved in some youth camps when he was younger, but you know, he certainly could have played for England, but he chose to play for us. So yeah, I, I've spoken a lot about an issue that I clearly don't want to talk about and I've said it's tiresome, but I've given you plenty, but yeah, I'm, I'm delighted that Che Adams has decided. I think Ben makes a very good point that he's 24 years old. You know, this isn't some guy coming towards the end of his career who just wants to get some days out at a national stadium. I mean, he's approaching the peak of his career and he's going to spend those peak years with us, which is absolutely fantastic for us. I'm, I couldn't be happier. I think the fact as well that it's magnified, I think, because it's England that he was choosing between and us. I think uh, if it was European country, France or Germany, Holland, whatever, that he had a Scottish granny and he was deciding between them and Scotland, I don't think this would be anywhere near as much a, a talking point among some of the fans, to be honest. I think yes. it's just the the idea of potentially being cast aside for our better rivals and then changing your mind again is what is maybe sitting uncomfortably with a few, but he's not the first and he won't be the last to do it. And if it's to our benefit, then this is the way that international football rolls now. And I think we just need to crack on. I mean, I mean, you look at Scott McTominay as well, you know, as an example, that's someone that, you know, without, we may well have struggled to actually qualify for this Euros. He was that good in defence for us as part of that three-man defence. So are you really going to cast him aside because he doesn't pass a certain criteria in terms of, having both Scottish parents and born in Scotland. And I think it's not like rugby where you can move to a country and qualify three or five years later through residency. You know, there's still, you still have to be, have a family link to the country. So for me, much like Gordon says, if you want to play for the country and you are eligible, then why would we turn anyone away with the quality that these players have? Yeah. And, and do you know what, like as well for me, this is just part of the virtuous circle of having qualified for a major finals. You know, I mean, once things start going well for you, it gets better and better and it gets easier and easier. You know, you improve your world rankings, you get better seedings, you get easier qualifying groups, which makes it easier to qualify again. You become more attractive to players such as Che Adams or anyone else who is maybe swithering about whether or not to commit to Scotland. They're more likely to come and do that now. So for me, this is just this is just part of a good news story that all keeps rolling from the fact that we qualified for the Euros this summer. 
Shea Adams is an exciting addition. Fresh face, someone who's been scoring goals right, um, well, fairly regularly this season, certainly in the last couple of weeks. He's not, let's make no mistake here, he's not Sergio Aguero or, or Robin Van Persie, but he's certainly someone that's going to increase our goal threat going forward at a time when, boy, we need that. If you look at the players, the forwards that have been around the squad recently, um, strikers anyway, Ollie Burke has scored one goal. Lauren Shankland has only scored one goal. Lee Griffiths has scored four goals. None of them are involved now in this squad coming up. Dykes and Fraser have got two each. Um, and now that uh, most of the goals seem to be coming from midfield with McGinn and Christie over the past couple of years. So it's interesting now that we've got another option up front who can hopefully be more of a goal-scoring focal point because Lyndon Dykes certainly was outstanding in Serbia, but his uh, USP as a striker is not putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree. I think Chase got something like seven in 32 so far uh, in the English top flight, which is not a bad re- return at all for a 24-year-old with some of the season still to go. He may well get to double figures. Um, and, you know, we can't turn that down. Yeah, but I, I think I think as well, if you if you dig into sort of the way that Che Adams plays for Southampton, I think you really do see the benefits of what he's going to bring for Scotland. Because, I mean... Southampton under Ralph Assen, who's the you know, they play this high intensity, high pressing style. So I mean, Che Adams is an absolute worker on the pitch. You know, he runs the channels, he can hold the ball in, he links up with with wing backs, he links up with midfielders, one of whom is Stuart Armstrong, you know, who I think with Che Adams in the squad, massively forwards the case for Stuart Armstrong, starting for Scotland as well, the way they link up. And as well, you look at the way that Adams and Danny Ings link up, Ings maybe plays more of the Lyndon Dykes style six yard box penalty box predator and it's Che Adams who's the one that plays off him and makes these runs into the channels and helps support him you know because he's got four assists this season as well so I, I think there's a prospect of a, a Dykes and Che Adams partnership that could be very very productive for Scotland. Let's move on to well, I suppose two talking points that you can roll into one here uh, Jack Hendry out in Belgium for Ustende I think Pardon my ignorance, I think that's how nothing said. Um, he's been playing in a back three all season, so it seems like it would probably be seamless for him to step into the right centre-back position, allowing Scott McTominay to go back into his natural habitat in central midfield. Do you think that's what Clark has up his sleeve here, guys? I think so. Uh, listening to Clark today, he was talking about his surprise that it didn't quite work out for Hendry at Celtic. And, you know, that these things can happen, especially when you're a young defender moving to a big club like that. But I think, you know, from his time at Dundee, and which eventually got him to move to Celtic, you could see that he, he almost had all the ingredients of a good centre-back. You know, he's got a really good stature, strong, quite quick, actually, good on the ball. So I feel like that centre-back hasn't just disappeared. I think he's still 25. You know, he's he's still got plenty of time to develop. And like you say, he's been playing as part of a back three. That's the exact style that Clark is always going to play. So I think he's a good option to bring in. I'm not sure if he's going to start, but definitely get him in and see how he compares to the other centre-backs that we have. Gordon, Henry has a 9 out of 10 pass completion rate. Uh, in Belgium, I saw these great stats posted by Scots Abroad podcast earlier. I've got to give them credit. I've not researched these myself. Um, and I think uh, he's got, and I'm sure it was 100% uh, pass success rate into the opposition's half. So I think I've got that right. Maybe double check on their Twitter account. 
and wins most of his headers as well in his own area. It seems like he has the ingredients and the the evidence this season that stepping in shouldn't be too much of an issue. And if we're looking to replace McTominay in defence with someone with similar characteristics, then he's the man. Absolutely, I, th- I think I think he is the man. Um, you know, we've we've spoken before about Scott McTominay, and, and really we've come to the conclusion that the reason why he was playing at right side and centre back it wasn't because of his defensive skills, even though he's certainly got them, because he isn't a defender by trade. It was because he was a right-footed player to be able to play in that position and give us that balance of having Tierney on the left of defence, McTominay on the right, and it just gave the whole team balance. So the fact that Jack Hendry is a ball-playing good passing, right-footed centre-back massively plays into into his benefit. But I'd also like to really speak about sort of his off-field strengths as well, and really particularly his mental strength. I mean, the fact that he went from Dundee, he got the big move to Celtic, he got the dream move, it just did not work out for him. That could have crushed him. He then goes to Australia on loan. He, He makes a big move, you know, he makes a big step outside his comfort zone, goes to another continent, and then suffers a very serious, like it was a knee injury within about a week or two of, of getting there. Again, that could have crushed him mentally. He's come back from that again, gone to another country in Belgium, where he is now, as you said, with those stats. And as the guys, Scots Abroad Pod, Byron Hutchison on Twitter, they've been following him very closely. He's been absolutely excelling in Belgium. So we've spoken before a lot about the the sheer the mental strength that runs right through this squad from back to front. I mean, you look through the players, how many of them were released as kids? How many of them have gone through lower leagues, worked their way back up? How many of them have had serious injuries and overcome them? I mean, so many of these guys, they've not had anything easy. You know, they've not had it handed to them on a plate. They've worked for everything they've got. And frankly, I think that makes us a stronger team because these guys in our team are strong at anything because of what they've gone through. So... For those reasons, I'm absolutely delighted to see Jack Hendry in the squad. I feel like well, Grant Hanley's been recalled as well, but I feel like he would be a deputy for the centre-centre-back position in a three, rather than stepping in on the right if McTominay is to be pushed back up. And if you look at the, the two for the centre-back position, because it'll probably be McKenna for the left where Tierney is, um, with Cooper uh, out injured as well. So we've got a captain of a, a league-topping championship team in Norwich, Grant Hanley, um, but I think that Declan Gallagher's selection is pretty secure at the moment. I know he was injured recently at Motherwell and it's been a fairly lacklustre season for them. Um, cannot see Gallagher being replaced at the moment, though, given how well he did for us at the end of last year. Yeah, and I think Clark has always spoke about, you know, being loyal to the players, you know, that got us to the years especially. But I think that's his sort of mentality, trying to build this club mentality. It's... it's this regular, the consistency of selection is really important to that. You know, it, it lets players know that, okay, even if they drop off a little bit, they still have the trust of the manager and they're not going to suddenly find themselves cast aside. Uh, I think Gallagher hasn't done anything wrong in a Scotland shirt. Um, so, I, yeah, like you said, I'd be surprised to see him see him drop out now. And if McTominay has moved back into midfield, you would imagine against the Austria will be at the expense of Ryan Jack because Steve Clark has said that he's an injury doubt for this game. And maybe Jack will come back in for Israel away if fit. Uh, but yeah, McTominay potentially with a an open an open window or an open door to stride through here back into where he's comfortable in central midfield. Probably you would imagine alongside Callum McGregor because we know how much Steve Clark admires him. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. Um, I think I think Ben's absolutely right that. 
the real watchword of Steve Clark's campaign so far has been consistency. And I think we've seen us starting to reap the rewards of that. You know, guys like Stephen O'Donnell, who was maybe much maligned in his early appearances under Alex McLeish for Scotland. People didn't really think he was up to it at international level, but you've seen that by playing game after game, he's got better and better and better. So I, I do think looking at that Austria game, I think there will be as few changes as possible from the team that started in Serbia, which is probably our accepted starting 11, uh, first choice starting 11 just now. Um, but maybe between the other two games, we'll start to see evolutions to that. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd very much like to see Scott McTominay in midfield because his form for Man U has made him impossible to ignore there. Ben, what about you, McTominay in midfield alongside McGregor? Enticing? Yeah, I would say so. I think, um, as we kept talking about with McTominay, yes, he can play in defence, but it's clear that his best position is in centre mid. And we've always said you should always try and play your best players in their best position. And he can influence the game for me far more in midfield. You know, he's such a big, strong lad. He's got all the technical ability that you want from a centre mid as well. I think he's, he was such a presence in midfield that you would hate to actually play against that midfield as an opposition. Um, and I think him and McGregor could work quite well. McGregor's maybe a little bit more technical, his passing and things. You know, that could be quite a nice sort of double pivot um, and let the, the forward guys get on <laughs> with the good stuff. There's one central midfielder that personally I'm surprised to see included, John Fleck. I felt that David Turnbull was a shoo-in to, to be included over him. And from what I understand, Turnbull was as close as close can be to being included in the squad. Um, Steve Clark said today um, in a couple of interviews that he just needs to, to bide his time, essentially. Him and Ryan Gold are both competing to get into the the most competitive area that we've got in central midfield. We've we've got such a deep, um, look at deep options in the attacking areas and the defensive midfield areas. But I think John Fleck, given the season that Sheffield United have had and I think he's not been as prominent this season, unless I'm mistaken. Somebody can point me out on that. But are you guys also surprised that if there's one player retaining their place, it's it's him in midfield ahead of either Gold or Turnbull? I have to say, I think that Jack's injury has maybe played into Fleck's hands. I think the fact that we're a defensive midfielder down, I think Fleck can play that role quite well. So obviously over the course of three games, if... Uh, McTominay or McGregor was to get injured I think he maybe wants a more experienced you know yes Sheffield United aren't having a good season but Fleck is still playing every game you know he's played I think seven games in the last couple of months and this is against you know the top teams in England in the English Premier League so he's not he's, he's not just turned into a bad player overnight because they're struggling um, so I think that Jack's injuries maybe just helped him come in as that sort of cover. I don't I don't expect him to start at all. Um, and I probably wouldn't expect Turnbull to start either. But I think that sort of solidity and his experience has maybe just helped him get into this squad. Gordon? Yeah, I, I, I think I would certainly agree with that, Ben. I, I think if uh, if Ryan Jack had been fully fit, I don't know that there would have been a place for, for John Fleck. Um, I think, of course, you've, you've got to think as well that I wouldn't think that Fleck is in there at the expense of David Turnbull because obviously they'd be very different midfielders play, fulfilling very different roles. I mean, frankly, I am very surprised that David Turnbull isn't in there. I mean, you know, we've only called up 
26 players. I think when I think Wales called up closer to 30. So I mean, clearly there was obviously room for potentially bringing more players. And if if Turnbull is a guy who, as we all expect, is potentially going to be the future of the Celtic side and the future of the Scotland side, I don't really see anything to be lost in bringing him along, at least integrating him into training, showing showing him how the squad works, how they train, and just seeing how he gets on. And it, part of me wonders, is, is there a story there that he's been pulled out? Is he, is he is self-advised that he's carrying a knock and maybe he shouldn't get called up? Because you're right, it, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Of, of all the uncapped players that we ever discussed, David Turnbull always seemed to be, certainly in recent weeks, to be the absolute lock for, for being in the squad. Are you equally as frustrated, Ben, that either him or Ryan Gold aren't included? He's been getting rave reviews over in Portugal, contributing goals, assists for a, a struggling team, captain linked with yeah, European competition level sides, Braga, definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would I would definitely have picked Turnbull because, you know, we've waxed lyrical about him for, for almost years now. You know, he's he's so good with the ball. I think the trouble is with him and Gold is that they're both attacking midfielders. And in a squad, I don't think Clark is going to have too many more of them. And the trouble is, as he's as he's hinted at today, the trouble is that's where our best players are. You know, I would say our best players are our attacking midfielders. So if you're taking three or four attacking midfielders, the trouble is they're just not quite at that level. For me, they're not as good as Stuart Armstrong. They're not as good as John McGinn. Ryan Christie, yes, maybe he hasn't had the best season with Celtic, but I think there's mitigating factors with that when you look at Celtic's season. And when you look at what Christie has done for us in a Scotland shirt the last year or two, you cannot take him out of the squad. So the issue is, who do, who do you drop for them? As Gordon as Gordon said, I think you could you could get Turnbull in. That's not going to harm anyone. You know, there's there's enough space on the plane on the bus. You know, that's not an issue. He's young enough for me. He is the future of our midfield. So I would have had him in. I don't think he. I'm not sure he would have played. Not sure. Um, maybe Clark has thought that. Um, but and he he said today that he is going to be part of the Scotland team. You know, it, it's not like he's ignoring him. Gold, I'm not sure about. I'm not sure whether he is going to get gold up or not because I'm not sure how much better he can play. Maybe moving to someone like a Benfica or a Sporting would then make you know would make would put him on a par with the likes of John McGinn and Stuart Armstrong. But I'm just not sure he's there yet. Moving on to the striking areas, we've touched on one Sheffield United player. Let's move on to Ollie McBurney. His inclusion always. Uh, raises criticism I suppose is a polite way of putting it we have backed McBurney on this podcast, we did so at the start of the Nations League last season we did so when we approached the Serbia game, he stepped up and put away a penalty but is he now needing the, the sort of time where he needs to make an impact, otherwise the not excuses but the the reasoning for his inclusion and the explanations start to, to run dry. Yeah, I think I think it's difficult for McBurney. I mean, realistically, you know, so I I, I took the Scotland squad that was announced today earlier and I sort of I put it into positions and I did a sort of little depth chart of sort of ranking the players within the positions. And realistically, if 
if you're considering the way that we've lined up recently is you've had Lyndon Dykes as sort of a central striker, and then you've effectively had an attacking midfielder playing as a secondary striker, like a Ryan Fraser or a Ryan Christie, then really, if you're ranking these centre forwards, you're looking right now as Dykes because he's got the jersey, Che Adams because he's a Premier League goal-scoring striker, then McBurney. So he is moving further away from the squad than he is getting closer to it. And I think you're absolutely right that if he... It's difficult for him because it, that probably means that he's going to get fewer minutes for Scotland, which means he's got less chance to impress, which means there's more pressure on him to take those chances in those shortened windows. But that, unfortunately, is the brutal reality of football at the highest level when there's there's big competition to play for. Um, but you, you do pray that he's going to take a chance that he gets because if he doesn't, uh, like I said, he's only going one way and it's further away from starting 11. Ben, are your eyebrows raised at McBurney retaining a spot in the squad or did you see this coming? I wasn't surprised because Clark has sort of backed into the hilt and I wonder if it's now a sort of, uh, not, a, not I don't want to call it stubborn, but maybe he's just, he doesn't want to admit, you know, that this isn't working and he thinks, right, if I just keep playing it and, you know, like you talked about O'Donnell getting chances and eventually growing into the jersey, is that what he's hoping is going to happen with McBurney? Because I wouldn't say that McBurney has always played badly for Scotland. You know, there's been a couple of times when he has looked, you know, he's looked pretty good. Um, and he is playing in the English Premier League, which is obviously a much harder league to score in. I'm sure we'll talk about Kevin Nisbet. And we've made the point before that how many goals would McBurney score if he was up playing up front for Hibs, getting that amount of chances against lesser opposition? I would argue that we'd probably get as many, if not more. So... There's a question mark over the quality of the leagues that they're playing in. You know, there is a player in McBurney. There's a player that scored a hell of a lot for Swansea in the English Championship. And he has scored in the English Premier League before as well. So there is a striker there. Whether we're going to see the best of him, I'm not sure. And as Gordon says, he is getting further down the pecking order. So whether he's going to get chances in this this group of three games, I'm not actually sure. I think he might actually be further down the list. Well, I mean, bear in mind, you know, I mentioned just there just about the sort of brutal realities of, of football at this level. And one of the thing I keep one of the things I keep coming back to is that McBurney hasn't scored for Scotland yet, but that certainly isn't for lack of trying. And bear in mind, I think he's hit the woodwork about three or four times. So I mean yeah. one or two at centimeters. Least, at least a couple of times. Yeah. So I mean one or two centimeters this way or that way, and he could have two, three, four goals for Scotland. And then before you know it, his record looks massively different and the narrative just completely shifts away from him so maybe that's unfair that the narrative does exist that way but then like it is the reality he still hasn't scored for us and you wish he had but he hasn't so yeah it's tough for him Ben you mentioned Nisbet it's quite a strange situation with uh, Nisbet and Shankland because at the tail end of last year when we had the the playoffs and the Nations League games Nisbet was the one in form, but Shankland was the one included. Now it's complete role reversal. Shankland is the one that's been scoring over the last month or two. And Nisbet had uh, his rocky moment with his transfer request and he's come off the bench quite a few times, only scored once in his last 10 games or something. And now he's the one that's included. So do you think that this is a case of Clark knows what Shankland's capable of, has seen him operate, clearly rates him, but now he just wants to give Nisbet the opportunity um, to try and prove what he's capable of. I've got to be honest, I was really surprised to not see Shankland in the squad 
you know, he's he's got four in his last ten for a Dundee United team that have not been scoring that often this season. You know, I know his stats over the, the course of the season aren't that great, but Dundee United have not been a free-scoring side. Um, you look at the, some of the goals that he scored, he is he is a classy striker. And I think if he gets the right service, he will score you he will score you goals. And I'm not really sure what the point is of getting him. He's had, he's had two caps now and he scored once for Scotland. I'm not really sure what the point of doing that is, bringing him into the setup, getting him bedded in to then drop him. I, I feel like it would have made more sense to have had him in this squad, given him a game against the Faroe Islands or had a, a sub-appearance against them and got another goal and build him into the striker. Because now we're going through the whole process again with Nisbet, who hasn't been as clinical as Shankland in the last couple of months. I think he's got two in 13. So, as you say, it's like a role reversal in form, and I'm not really sure what the thinking is. Maybe it is to have a look at Nisbet and see how he does. Um, and as you alluded to, maybe he knows what Shankland is capable of, and he'll consider them both for the Euros. Gordon, the inclusion of Nisbet certainly caught me off guard likewise for you. Yeah, I would say so, because certainly when it comes to strikers, that is generally the one position in the pitch that is so driven by current form that if a guy is scoring goals, he's playing regularly, it catches your eye so much that that's what you you associate with for calling up the national team. But I think the, the point that you guys both are both getting at, I think probably is spot on, to be honest. I think this is a selection with an eye to the summer. I think Clark will probably feel that there's space for one of them. We're not going to have in a 23-man squad Shankland and Nisbet. So he's seen Shankland, he's seen him in training, he's seen him in matches. He hasn't had that with Nisbet. Nisbet's never been called up before. This is a chance for Nisbet to come into the training camp to impress Steve Clark with a view to the summer. Um, I, I, maybe that's a little bit unfair on Lauren Shankland because he could very much be there on merit as well. But I, I just think some of the decisions that are going to have to be made ahead of the summer are going to be so brutal with it being so few players in the squad that, that you almost need to pick guys off against each other head to head. Yeah, I have to say Nisbet has impressed this season. You know, some of his finishes are very clinical and I think that's what Clark really likes. He kept talking about he finds space in the box in his press conference today. And that is something that he definitely has, that all good strikers have, you know, that ability to find a pocket of space that just gets them away from a defender. And you know, they often say that you can't really teach that. And he does have that. So I wouldn't say that he's not, you know, a very talented striker that could well go on to be, you know, a good striker for Scotland. But to me, Shanklin would have made more sense for this squad. I think Steve Clark has now made it clear whose three goalkeepers for the for the Euros will be. Um, I think some of us certainly expected Liam Kelly to get the, the third gloves for this squad. He's been doing pretty well for Motherwell. Um, McLaughlin been getting no game time at Rangers. Uh, maybe now that the league's wrapped up for them, Gerard will give him a couple of games to get up to speed um, before the Euros because it looks like that it's going to be Marshall, number one, Gordon, number two, McLaughlin, number three. Gordon, you're an advocate of having a young keeper around the squad to learn and to get experience for future years. Are you quite shocked that Kelly or McCrory aren't in here? Yeah, I am. I am. I, I honestly, I don't understand the the logic behind taking John McLaughlin. I'm afraid. I mean, 
I did hear Steve Clark talk today about he's been involved in a lot of squads. He's obviously been very loyal. He turns up, he does well. He did have a good run of form at the beginning of the season when he was effectively deputising for, for Alan McGregor. But I mean, he's 33 years old. I mean, we've been blessed for so long as Scotland fans with some phenomenal goalkeepers, whether it's Craig Gordon, Alan McGregor, David Marshall, you know you've got a phenomenal first-choice goalkeeper between the sticks. We need to now look to the new generation. I mean, Craig Gordon's 38 years old, David Marshall's 36, and McLaughlin's 33. So, I mean, I certainly think that when it comes to the Euros, you have to be taking your first-choice goalkeeper as effectively the guy that you think is going to be the future of that position. I mean, what an opportunity for whoever that guy is. I mean, be it Liam Kelly, be it Robbie McCrory, but... Yeah, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand the McLaughlin selection, I've got to say. I'd be really disappointed if McLaughlin goes to the Euros. And that is no, you know, I don't know the guy. I'm, I'm not wishing it away from him. But like you say, I really don't see the point because at the end of the day, your third choice keeper is not going to play at a major tournament. You know, the, the amount that that has happened must be so, so few. You know, so what is the point? Potentially with this one, I think Marshall had an injury recently, didn't he? So there might be a little question mark if he can't play and Gordon goes in and something was to happen to Gordon over the course of the three games. You know, he maybe wants a more experienced keeper to step in at that point. But certainly going forward, I do not see the point in having three very experienced keepers all in the squad when at the end of the day, normally only one of them is actually going to play. Yeah, Kelly... McCrory has been in and out of the Livy team this season. He was certainly out of it for about four months or so there. Kelly was out of the QPR team and now he's come up to Motherwell and has looked good, making some good saves and Motherwell are improving. Uh, has a relationship with Gallagher as well, I suppose, and O'Donnell. So, yeah, also I'm a bit surprised that McLaughlin is the one that's been given the nod as, as third choice. He probably won't play, as you say, guys, but, yeah, a surprising one. I, I did see as well, just a, again... Like we know football fans are like, including us sometimes, I'm sure, fickle, uh, cynical, um, biased. It, everyone is guilty of it at some point, oh, no matter what they say. Um, I, I have seen a few comments, though, today after the squad was announced, criticism on Twitter, um, you know, saying a load of nonsense, same old heads called up, favouritism, that sort of stuff. And a couple of guys that were picked out were McBurney, O'Donnell was... Uh, picked out as well. Someone was having a go at Kenny McLean. Considine was picked on. I, th- I think that over the years, yeah, that could be forgiven for saying that, but these guys have actually are the ones that have got us somewhere now. Do they not deserve to be given a bit of loyalty and recognition for getting us over the line and taking us into the new World Cup campaign rather than this negativity surrounding that seemed to follow some of them around? I mean, Kenny McLean's a tremendous central midfielder. Stephen O'Donnell, although playing at a lower level compared to a lot of the squad, has done pretty well for us over the last four or five games. Uh, just two examples. Yeah, oh, it's honestly ridiculous. So, you know, it happens every time. There's always there's always a lot of club loyalty as well. They're like, oh, why hasn't X or Y been picked? But these guys have been successful together. This is the first successful Scotland team to qualify for a major tournament in 22 years. So. You can't then turn around and say, oh, well, thanks for getting us there, but no, you're all right, we're going to bring in this guy because, you know, Joe on Twitter wants it. You have to be loyal to the players that have got you there. 
if you want to have this club mentality that Clark keeps talking about, you know, that there's not there's more to it than just how they play. There's also how they are in the camp together, you know, the relationships that they have. This is a winning formula. So why would you try why would you try and change that when you're trying to replicate what you've just done? You know, you're trying to build on what you've what you've actually achieved. So why would you start ripping it up, you know, from the from the base down? Gordon, never mind rip it up. Does it make you want to rip out your hair? Oh, it makes me want to eat my own innards with rage. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I spend too much time on the internet, honestly. It's just, it, oh, God. Um, it's easy to do with lockdown. <laughs> it is, it is, isn't it? But, you know, you're, I think, Ben, like, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, we've, we've said so many times the watchword of Clark's reign is consistency consistency in selection, consistency in tactics. And we have seen positive outcomes from that, from keeping the faith with what we're doing. You know, but I think you look at this squad and I believe there's there's efforts to improve from a position of strength. And that ha- that can only happen incrementally, bit by bit. You can't just, this isn't football manager, you can't just change 11 players from one game to the next and expect it to work. So the idea that, you know, we're bringing in Shea Adams, we've got a phenomenal new striker in the team, Jack Hendry's back in the squad. He's gone away. He's developed. He's a he's a stronger player. That might allow McTominay to move forward into midfield. These are small changes. You know, this this isn't a tearing up of the plan because it doesn't have to be. Um, but look, while I'm on this soapbox, I said I would get here. I'm doing it. There's an issue. There's an issue that I have had with Scotland fans forever, and it's maybe not Scotland fans, but just the whole culture around the Scotland national team, and it's this idea of glorious failure. It's been so endemic with how we speak about the national team. It's always, oh, we conceded a late goal. We snatched a draw, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Oh, it's what Scotland do. Same old Scotland, of course they do. Glorious failure. And to me, that attitude, that language, it's small-minded. It's it's self-defeating. And I honest to goodness believe it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if your culture is shaped around the language of failure, that's all you'll ever get. I honestly believe that. And look, I'm obviously not saying that if we all clapped our hands and we're all happy and we all had a positive mental attitude, that we would have qualified for more tournaments in the past and that we would have had better players or won more games. But with this attitude of always thinking about the team in the, t- in the terms and the language of failure, it's as if we've lost the game before we step on the pitch, you know, and that just, it's infuriated me for a long time, but I feel like right now is the time to hammer this point because we are in this position of strength. You know, we've qualified for major finals for the first time in 23 years. Scotland's women have qualified for two out of the last three major finals. You know, we no longer need to define ourselves through failure. We don't, that's a choice. You know, you have to realize that Every journalist that writes an article, every pundit that speaks on the radio or TV, the way they speak about the team, the way they speak about the culture around the team is a choice. We have the choice to do things differently. And I would honestly just love it if we could take this opportunity to leave the idea of glorious failure in the past. Yes, we'll lose games in the future, but so long as we're approaching them with the right attitude and we grow and develop, you know, we we take our medicine, we lose a game, but we look at what we can do better and we build on it because this idea of glorious failure, it's a way of, it's an abdication of responsibility. It's effectively 
everybody involved saying, well, we couldn't have won that game because Scotland don't win games like that. We just can't do it. So what can we do? Why even bother? And that abdication of responsibility, I honestly believe is a big part of why we haven't been successful over the last two decades. But we have a chance now to redefine that. And I do hope you agree. I hope everyone listening agrees because I'm honestly sick of it. You've convinced me. Gordon has a dream. <laughs> I, I vow never to write that statement again or utter its words. <laughs> well, we'll see, this is the thing. Like, but, but the important thing is that we can all play a part. Every single person plays a part in this, in the way that you think about the team, the way you talk about it. Because think, think as well, right? Our, our players, most of them, you know, especially the younger guys, you know, I'm, I'm 32 and I was a nine-year-old child when Scotland last qualified for a major finals. So any player younger than me probably barely remembers Scotland qualifying for anything. So they've grown up as children, in, turned into adults, and their entire adult lives, they've grown up with the language around the national team being the language of failure. Now, and then we act surprised when those players get together and history repeats itself. Different managers, different players, different tactics, same results. Why are we surprised? Honestly, I'm sorry, but I've, I've bottled <laughs> this up. I've bottled this up for at least 10 years. So. Well, what do we think would be an acceptable start to this group then? Three games. We know that Austria might have a situation they need to overcome with selection of players. They've they've called up 43 to their squad provisionally for this uh, international break. But there is a potential question mark hanging over the boys that are based in the German Bundesliga um, because they need to travel into the UK and then the quarantine measures, I think, um, would restrict them when they get back to domestic duty. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but regardless of whether Austria are at full strength or half strength or quarter strength, whatever, um, there will still be a, a tough game. We saw that with the game against the Czech Republic reserves back in September. They nearly gave, well, they did give us a doing uh, an open play, but we came away with the win somehow. Um, so what do we think, boys, would be an acceptable start to this campaign? Austria at home, Israel away, and then the Faroe Islands. Well, I would say, especially if Austria are at half strength, you know, as it looks like they may well be, I think we have to win that game. I would have, pro I would have maybe taken a draw uh, if they'd have been at full strength, because you look at the strength of their squad. But if, especially if we want to out-qualify them, which it looks like as the top two seeds we're going to have to, um, I think we need to beat them. And I think we have the players to do it. I think we obviously had a few difficult results the last couple, but I still think there's a really, really strong team there. There's so much quality in that starting eleven now that I think we have enough, you know, to beat a, a weakened Austria side. We should be beating the Pharaohs, whatever team we put out. With no disrespect to them, that the squad that we've got, you could play a lot of combinations of them, and they should win that game. Israel away, I would probably take a draw if you if I was offered it now because I think that could actually be trickier uh, than... Oh boy, it has proved tricky in the, the last few times we've been there. Gordon, win, draw, win. Is that a fair trio of results for this break? Is that what we should be aiming for, at least? I would certainly agree with that. Um, I think when we did the podcast immediately after the draw for the World Cup qualifiers, you know, and we were batting about ideas, and one of the things that we sort of came upon was the fact that Austria, through winning their Nations League group, they more or less have a playoff guaranteed for this World Cup through that Nations League. So I do wonder that if they are to drop points 
early in the group and then they lose touch with first place in the group which would automatically qualify them from an austrian perspective the difference then of finishing second in the group for the playoff or finishing bottom of the group is negligible because they'll get a playoff regardless so i think we have to absolutely take the maximum advantage of that it's not it's not our fault they might be with us without some of the best players i think we have to go for the jugular against austria at Hamden. i think i was along the same lines as ben i think so long as we didn't lose that game and got a draw that might have been a decent result if the circumstances are as we think they and hope they might be i think we have to go for the win there and then yeah certainly ideally you want to win obviously in israel I, th I think the group will probably be defined by who drops most points to israel in terms of us austria and denmark and then the pharaohs at home sort of has to take care of itself and get the three points there so yeah i, I think seven points would be a very good start for us for sure 100 great well we will check in as usual and have a full debrief of how the games have gone what has gone well what maybe went wrong and see what might need to change before the euros the one question I have for you guys that you might be able to fill me, fill me in on. Do we have warm-up games for the Euros? I'm assuming we do, but I haven't seen anything announced. We haven't booked anything. No. Pretty, pretty much everyone else has started booking them. A, a lot of friendlies are in the calendar, so I'm not sure how many teams will be left, actually, to be honest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure England have got theirs lined up, I think. So, yeah, yeah. hopefully the SFA are doing their, their job and they're not going to leave us with a, a mad trip just before the Euros. Yeah, well, that's uh, one to look out for. It would make total sense, I suppose, just to get the guys together for a few warm-up uh, games just against... Whoever. Well, I, I, I think, I mean, obviously I've never really focused on this too closely because it's never involved us, <laughs> but I do believe that usually you get to call up an enlarged squad, so say like a 27, 28-man squad for that training camp before a major finals and then you have a couple of friendlies and then you cut it down mm -hmm. to the 23 for yeah. the the finals so yeah i think that's how it's going to work but again who knows because we've never done it before <laughs> <laughs> we can all go through that together <laughs> all right good stuff lads well let's see what happens against austria israel and the pharaohs but good chat as usual cheers exciting cheers, cheers. Podcast Network.